Welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Graham. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. So this episode does not do the best job of (laughs) talking about race, um, specifically hate crimes against Mm -hmm. black people. So we thought we might recommend some things that we've read or watched or listened to that do handle the content of this episode uh, well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm going to bring up a podcast, actually. And the podcast I'm going to bring up is Keep It. They do mostly talk about themes of racism, like, more as it kind of is a theme, like, in modern media. But the podcast is three queer people, but specifically it's two black queer people in, like, the three. And, like, so no matter what they're talking about, you're always going to get, like, a black queer perspective on what's going on. And to me, that's kind of what's the problem with this episode is it's just missing that perspective. But I specifically want to recommend one episode, hashtag free against the music. They mostly talk about the racism that was going on with the Indianapolis Museum, if you all remember that. They interview someone named Baratunde Thurston, who does have his own podcast called We're Having a Moment, but he specifically talks about, like, the racism in D.C. I like how he presents the information because it's very matter-of-fact and very hopeful, but also, like, he talks about, like, at every level in that interview, little things that need to happen to make society better for Black people. Not even just, like, on a big scale, but thinking it from, like, every angle. So I definitely would recommend that. What about you, Allie? I have a few I'll just rapid fire through because I think it's important to look into ones that are relevant to your life, no matter what your life and background is. So one history-based book is Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington, which is an excellent history of how we've had apartheid in our country through our medical system. Um, It's fascinating. It is horrifying. Also, New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander is a great one of showing how these things are still going on today when people talk about sundown towns in the past. These are all things that have not gone away, so that's super important. 13th on Netflix is a documentary. It is about the um, incarceration in the U.S. and how that is based in racism. Yeah, get ready to weep if you watch that. That's really difficult. And then um, if you're in education or work with youth, Four White Teachers Who Teach in the Hood by Christopher Edmond is a really good book that goes into those issues as well. So whatever your field or area or background is, there are definitely different things that you'll be more interested, but it's so important to educate yourself about. Yeah, I wanted to recommend a book also. This one is a little more directly related to the context of this episode Mm -hmm. in that it is a comprehensive history of policing and the invention of the police force because that was a thing that was invented in the 19th century. Um, It's called Our Enemies in Blue and it's by Christian Williams. Yeah, and it just starts like with 
the invention of police and how it's changed over the past couple hundred years, um, how they specifically target the lower economic classes and, uh, you know, the history with workers' rights and union issues. But for the most part, it really does tackle like a race-related angle. But yeah, that that's one that'll make you really fucking angry. Yeah, I think so, all of these <laughs> take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely one you want to read like a chapter a day mm. and not half of it in one go, like I did. Uh, if you want to not blow a gasket. And just to be clear, when these issues come up, like, the responsibility is not on people of color to read these things. Right. Um, It's often on white people and people who are in more privileged positions to educate themselves and know what's going on. I don't want to be somebody who's like, just Google it. But, you know, with the internet Mm -hmm. literally at our fingertips at all times, it's really, really easy to find, you know, well-regarded books, Mm -hmm. scholarly articles, good podcasts, good documentaries, and Mm -hmm. like literally talking to other human beings on the internet and listening to like their their candid anecdotes Mm -hmm. about their life. Yeah, it's not comfortable, but it's so necessary. Especially since like, we're all on social media and just being on social media like we know there's no one who's going to listen to this that doesn't come across these issues on social Mm -hmm. media so instead of just like scrolling past them like really just take time to slow down and read and like assess the information Mm -hmm. and then pass it along Mm -hmm. all right well without further ado Today's episode is Season 1, Episode 13, Route 666, the one where the boys confront racism in the ghost truck industrial complex. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was written by Eugene Ross Lemming and Brad Buckner and directed by Paul Shapiro. It originally aired on January 31st, 2006. I've been complaining this whole time (laughs) about how we just keep getting ghosts after ghosts after ghosts, but then it was a ghost truck and I was like, hmm... My interest is peaked, but then it was a racist ghost truck, and then I was like, aww. You mean you weren't interested in the alpha male Christine? (laughs) Alpha male Christine. Yeah, I do like that it was very much, did you guys have, like, the monster truck races and mud races at your, like, state fairs and stuff? Bosses mainly, but the people did that for fun on weekends, was the mudding. I I never attended such things. (laughs) I renamed this episode. I know, Jasper, oh. you do each episode. Um, but to me, this episode was hate crumbs with a splash of love. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which made me... It was as uncomfortable to watch as that title. <laughs> also, the truck itself was just very strange. Like, I don't know who in the 60s was, like, driving a monster truck. Yeah, well, I, I mean, at know. risk of skipping to the end too quickly they do show the original truck and it's like a vintage looking mm-hmm. yeah truck it's definitely not the ghost of optimus prime <laughs> like, <laughs> to me they display it i was like this is just tomater but the uncensored version of cars you know tomater would be a racist I haven't seen cars, <laughs> so I, I actually don't know. I Damn it. I'm, I'm, like, over here looking at Ali like, who the fuck is Tony? <laughs> what is that? He's a beat-up, rusty truck who drives backwards and talks with a southern accent and is probably racist. Well, okay. Jasper and I are just a couple years too old oh, to have, like, watched cars because I've yeah. also never seen it. Youths back me up. But we're not, like, old enough to have kids who have watched it either. True. We're in, like, a 
liminal space. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of, I was listening to a podcast this week that was talking about roads as liminal spaces. It was on this podcast is haunted. And so it was fascinating then coming to this and thinking about how really roads are too because it's a connection, but it's a connection that's out in the middle of nowhere and so unknown and there's so much like um, stories and fear around. Yeah, and I think the liminality of roads is like a theme of the show at mm-hmm. large. Yes. So, I mean, that is never irrelevant. Well, <laughs> I am endeavoring, however, to not bring up liminality every single episode <laughs> because, you know, combined with the fact that it's a horror genre show and they're road tripping um it's it would just be too much Mm -hmm. it would be too much we did get our our little preface with a little bit of spookiness and then truck fades away yeah yeah i think that's what jordan was laughing at in the beginning when it just (laughs) sort of like like dissolved into the ether yeah even like the car action scenes were like trying to be like fast and the furious (laughs) and i found that so funny for some reason it had the same corny action time music as the uh (laughs) the brother fight scene in skin yes I still just, like, don't understand why they needed to have a monster truck. Like, any car would have been just as effective. Because racist drives truck. Yeah. But they don't drive, like, a roided out El Camino. They do today. I have... Sure. Not back then. I'm behind this. I I think fantasy. I think they were maybe trying to keep it visually as far from Christine as possible. Mm, yes. I think it was more mm-hmm. of a practical concern. But I don't know if they just wanted it to be like a car that was easily recognizable. There's so many other directions mm-hmm. they could have gone. But I'm actually like the car is the least of my concerns with this episode. Oh, we have a lot yeah. to get into. <laughs> it was uh. This episode yeah. was a doozy. Yes. So after after the uh, intro sequence where Martin is killed, it opens once again with a phone call. Once again. One day it won't open with a phone call or with someone sleeping. Or with someone sleeping and then being woken up by a phone call. <laughs> Never. But Don't today was this. not that day. Today was not that day. Today we relied on the formula. Sam looks so cozy in his green sweater in this scene. Yes, he, he looks does. cuddly for the first time in the series. I'm excited for some of his outfits that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to spoil it for Jordan. So I'm not mm. going to say, but yeah. he has a shirt in particular that I'm very into. Yes. <laughs> I actually did note a lot about fashion in this episode, specifically related to Cassie. Oh, oh her clothes oh. are so good. Yeah, she was real well. And um, I see like on TikTok and stuff a lot where people try to emulate the clothes from this time. But this is really like what people dress like. Like we had talked before, it was just like yeah. the layering well like, except for the skirt like the that would have been like a foot shorter yes absolutely yeah. the the denim skirt yeah i agree and it had a weird flare at the back which i had on one skirt but it wasn't that long yeah so it no. looked like a duck bill it was kind of strange yeah but other than that yeah. she dressed like the quintessential it girl yeah absolutely yeah but um, even, like, down to the color scheme, like, that's what we wore was very muted tones. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. One of her shirts was, like, a blush yeah. color. With the white thick belts. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. The white belts were so big. So, like, her her looks in this are the actually not shitty looking version of what Becky was wearing mm-hmm. in skin. Yes. The whole time with the big belt buckle and, like, the boot cut pants and all of that stuff. Like, she looked great. 
but to be fair, I don't think you could put her yeah. in anything and have her look bad. Yes. Um, she just stole the show. She was so stunning, so charismatic. Yeah. That actress is named Megalyn Echikunwoke, by the way, and mm. she was a regular on 24 and CSI Miami. Speaking of her fashion, I do want yeah. to mention, my headcanon is that her leather jacket. That is why Dean wears his. I know he wears it in flashbacks when he's young, but I want it to be that she's a badass woman in a leather jacket, and he loved her so much that now he wears a leather jacket. Mm. I like that a lot better than the canon, which mm-hmm. is that he's Papa trying Winchester. so hard to emulate John yeah. that he even wears his old jacket. Yeah, let's have it as a healthy ode to someone he loves. Ugh. <sighs> I kind of feel like in 2005, though, everyone wore leather jackets. I know I did. Yeah, brown leather was really popular. And, and, and like, right along with that olive green and the Mm. heeled boots and all that stuff. We were having a moment. But anyway, let's backtrack. Mm -hmm. So after the phone call, we get the scene where Sam is like, ooh, your friend. It's such a little, like, little brother moment. It's Mm -hmm. so younger sibling. It just, like, hurts my brain. As an oldest sibling, I'm just like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But it's super cute. Sam throughout this episode is uh, reminding me a lot of some of the earlier episodes where the role was sort of reversed, where Dean is like encouraging Sam to go like have girlfriends or whatever, yeah, and to I try, got that same and, note. yeah, and to try and connect with women. And Sam is like, "Don't you want to be all in love and mushy?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they had actually a pretty strong opening scene for Sam, which is good, because he really wasn't in this episode a whole lot. No, Mm. not as much. Yeah. Dean's characterization was very consistent, though. Mm -hmm. I actually really liked that. A very soft Dean. Yeah. Very soft Dean, and they even make references to how, when he isn't being soft, it's completely a defense mechanism that's Mm -hmm. immediately called out by Cassie. Yeah. And I think it really shows why he hasn't opened up to women after this experience, too. Um, because, like, at first, it alludes to him having told her, and that's a huge surprise, and then later, her having left him for it, thinking it was a lie, so it makes sense that this experience, um, is kind of part of the reason he is how he is. Yeah, because the big reason that they're not supposed to tell people, Mm -hmm. as per John, is that no one's going to believe them, Mm -hmm. and then the one time, he's like, oh, this is worth it, I'm gonna go for it, burned. Yeah, doesn't believe him. Poor little guy. (laughs) also um the parallel between dean and cassie's relationship and the parallel with with like the episode and its relation to racism i kind of hated because like the whole point of like cassie and dean is like there's these unresolved feelings Mm -hmm. right like the town has these unresolved feelings of racism and that's kind of the vibe i was getting that they were trying to go for and i don't feel like it's the first time it's happened in the show where they try and go for something grand Mm -hmm. like that and then it really just falls, falls flat. flat. Yeah. yeah, and it combined with, like, the idea of secrets. Yes. And everything. It did fall flat, especially because Cassie and Dean are extremely similar mm-hmm. in the ways they are unwilling to be emotionally vulnerable and more than willing to push people away. So... Mm-hmm. And not that every narrative parallel has to be, like, super exact to the T or anything. It's just the only thing that really creates a parallel is the fact of secrets. Yes. And the fact that she's black and he's white. 
So it's just sort of like, hmm. (laughs) And it's so weird the part that the mom, like, had been dating the racist, but left him for a black man. Like, it's just so unnecessary in there. It makes it feel like it has to be tied to a white person for it to, like, he was just murdering people. Like, that should have been an issue enough in itself. Right. Well, I I have a different problem with that. But do we want to talk about the mom right now? Sure. Yeah, well, whatever. Let's just, we're skipping right to the mom. So here's my thing with the mom. Her white guilt caused this whole problem. Yes, absolutely. Not just her white guilt, the mayor's white guilt, too. Yes. The town. Yeah. Like, the, the villain here was white guilt. Yes. Um, like, if she had told anybody, mm-hmm. if she had been honest with Cassie about it, it wouldn't have been so much of an issue, yeah. I feel. It's just, like the the shame mm-hmm. of the town more than anything yeah like the villain here was not a like the ghost yeah and it, it makes me really angry that the story is centered around black people but then none of them get a say in the story yeah yeah it's yeah. all told yeah. through the white people it's such a white savior narrative well, and we it even really get is that in the dialogue too <laughs> with the mayor because the mayor was just a complete racist asshole, and then he dies, and then post-mortem, no, he was a hero who saved oh, these yeah, black yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. and, like, to Cassie's face, mm-hmm. he's like, I'm not a racist, I had black friends. I mean, he oh, doesn't yeah. say that, but that's what it is. It that's what the That's what the story is, because he had black friends yeah. back when it wasn't acceptable. Yeah, it's not you know, even. and, and, and to go further, he's not some hero either. So mm. he was a deputy or whatever when, um, you know, Cyrus was killed. Mm-hmm. But that means he was also still on the police force when Cyrus was committing murders. Yes. Yes. Mass murders if we are throwing in the church burning. Oh so he was complicit in, in, you know, the lack of pursuit towards solving those crimes mm-hmm. and bringing those murders to justice. And nothing that he does to help Martin or you know martin's family after mm-hmm. that uh you know is ever going to erase that guilt with and with the mayor too like the problem wasn't just white guilt it was also white defensiveness yes he was so unwilling to admit that he his actions were racist that he mm-hmm. was willing to let black people die to like yeah. hide that fact yeah 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 it's just inconvenient mm-hmm. and the for whole him church burning thing too in my opinion was really tasteless for the show to do because that's a real thing that happened in the 60s yeah Yeah. well and i mean like black men really would Mm -hmm. be killed for having relationships with white women also but to me with the church it's not just the fact that it was a real thing that it would happen it's like so we're not told whether it's a black or a white church, but we yeah. have to assume it's a black church because mm-hmm. it's more likely that a black church would be willing to officiate an mm-hmm. interracial wedding than a white church, mm-hmm. right? So what we're meant to assume from this little tidbit is that this man murdered a bunch of black children by like yeah. burning them to death and it just wasn't pursued at all and Mm -hmm. it's just like so gratuitous on top of all of the other violence against black people that you know we're repeatedly Mm -hmm. exposed to as an audience 
throughout this episode. Yeah. It, like, it's, it's just, like, there's no fucking reason for that at and all. And as soon as one white man goes missing, they go looking for him. Right. Which, sadly, can be realistic, but this show didn't do anything. Like, it breezed over the children's murder. It's just one line. Right. And then we get the narrative about him. Yeah. And I think, like, another thing is that there, you know, it's not just the physical violence that's mm-hmm. being enacted on black people in this episode. There's an emotional violence mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. told throughout Cassie's character, who's a black woman who does not shed a tear the whole, the whole episode, even though her father was just killed and she's convinced that something killed him and it was not an accident and like it's just so indicative of a culture where like black women are you know told to be quiet or they're treated like they're crazy and angry or for no reason angry for no reason if they are having an emotional reaction Mm -hmm. but we get this like this long, like, dramatic white woman crying scene, and she's all (laughs) rude and, like, weird throughout the episode, and, like, they make it clear that she's Mm -hmm. grieving, which, of course, you're going to grieve your husband. I don't have a problem with it just because she's a white woman. It's Mm -hmm. the fact that she's a white woman, but her daughter, a black woman, is not shown grieving, cannot be shown grieving. Well, and then also her daughter. So everyone, all of the black men are killed immediately and mm-hmm. same with the mayor the mayor is like instantaneously killed but the ghost has to make sure to torture the black yeah. woman right before it tries to kill her right like yeah it scared the others but not like this no right um and it's i have a problem with the mayor because i think it's very much um how people are like no i i work with these people i love these people um and then don't recognize how the system they work in yeah um whether that's police law enforcement in general, government, um, education, mm-hmm. all of these have that problem. And I feel like that's exactly what the episode does. It's right. like, no, we're talking about black people. We're talking about them. See, we care. And then it's just all brutalized and oppressing the voices in it. It like, it's just the obsession with, um, black trauma and seeing that and only that, like, they can't exist in any other space in this show until it's this traumatic, horrific... Right. Right. It's like, you know, as if black narratives mm-hmm. are always going to be centered around race or, yes. like, racial violence. It's just like, come on. Like, can't you just have black people existing? Like, it's mm-hmm. so... It's the um, danger of a single story... Adichie, I think, is the person who does that TED Talk, Mm. and she does an amazing job. If you're interested, please check it out. But she says um, that the danger of a single story isn't that that story exists, it's that only that story exists, and only that story is allowed to exist. Right. Similarly to how a lot of um, mainstream queer stories are all Mm. coming out narratives, (laughs) or like, we're getting hate crimed. (laughs) Yeah, no one can be in a happy relationship in it. No. I thought it was really tacky, too, that, like, when the wife was telling the story of the 60s, they played, like, this weird, jazzy, soulful kind of, like, music I didn't notice that at all. It was gross. The music in every emotional scene in this, gross. Uh, We want to talk about the music now? Oh, my God, the sex scene music? I can't even look at the screen when it's playing because the music is just so cringe. Yeah, they wanted to get, like, a Santana song but couldn't afford it. Yeah. Because that's what sexy music is uh, to, like, white men. uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) The, like, kind of Spanish guitar idea. 
Well, we've also had like sex scenes and romantic things before and never this. So it felt very... Wait, we did? Oh, well, we've had like kisses and allusions to Dean being into people. And when he talks to women, we never have this. Yeah, this is our first sex scene in the show. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, and they do it when they're just talking to later on. They have a very similar sound. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, I'm really curious whether this choice was consciously because it's like, someone he actually loved or subconsciously because rock doesn't fit the genre like the yeah. stereotype they're portraying yeah i think it's a combination of those yeah. things because there's definitely like a stereotype about that kind of music being romantic or sexy or something mm-hmm. yeah but yeah it uh no extremely cringy along with jensen's one really shiny nipple yeah. <laughs> the beaming nipple oh my god God. And, like, listen to these gross <laughs> lyrics. Take me away to paradise. No, Fill me inside with your love. Mm. There's a part in it, too, where they're totally macking on each other, and she's at his throat, and he just, like, lifts his head up and puts it down repeatedly, and I think it's because he has no other idea what to do with acting in this scene. Yeah. I, I don't know, because I couldn't look at it, because the secondhand <laughs> embarrassment was too intense. Oh, and was talking about acting, the scene right before they have sex was also, like, really cringy. Oh, yeah. Jensen's soap opera career jumped out. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that was that bad. Honestly, it was just, like, really different from a lot of the other kinds of scenes we have. So it, like, stands out and mm-hmm. is a little bit jarring. He has no emotion until he has all the emotion. I think he's very emotional all the time. I do, I think, in push-down ways. I think this is the first time he's more expressive about it Mm. in uh, sex and talking (laughs) Right. And not a fighting and angry way. Right. The big thing about this episode that just really upset me was just the lack of consequences for racism. And then, like, the monster itself... Not only did it just come back to punish the people that he had originally intended to punish for mm-hmm. racial reasons, he got to, like, exact that out before being ended. Also, I was kind of hoping the ghost would have to, like, face his racism yeah. in some kind of way. And we, like, kind of got that a little bit when he re-entered the hallowed ground where he had, like, burnt down the choir. But they didn't make any attempt to be, like... It wasn't like in episode one where she had to face the children she had drowned. Yeah, right. I was kind of hoping for a moment like that Uh at the end. Right. But like some kind of confrontation with um, Cassie's mother. Yeah, they made this ghost just like a literal force, like an unthinking force of racism. Do you want my stretch metaphor for this episode? Yes. Yeah. Okay. My stretch metaphor that I don't fully believe in, but I find them interesting. (laughs) That is that him not coming back until they tore down his house is representative of how sometimes it's almost like we forget the problems of the past until there's a discussion about whether to save or not these historic landmarks and how we kind of just like walk past them and exist in them without any recognition of the things that we have done to hurt others. That's actually a really interesting point. Yeah, you know, last year there were, you know, so many Civil War statues Mm -hmm. that were brought down and stuff. Yeah, I mean, no one talks about that racist, pa- like, right, right, right. the people there, they, right. ju- they just kind of live with it until. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to look at that. I'm sure no one had that on their brains <laughs> when yeah. they were writing this episode. Because <laughs> yeah. I think you're with your analogy, you're actually half right. 
like this problem was caused by ignoring racism Mm -hmm. but racism was then never acknowledged in the episode yeah i mean i will say like Mm -hmm. one thing i did like is when dean tells cassie's mom to get over herself yes (laughs) like because that's the whole attitude that i feel like could move everyone forward towards healing or would have you know moved everyone to a place of healing like prior to the time of this episode yeah well especially like her white guilt is literally gonna kill her daughter Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah and i hate the idea like that ugh, it's so pushed on the daughter the mom doesn't suffer for it like she's not even there when the car is attacking right so it's i don't know i just hate all of this and they make like they keep saying too like the car is targeting both of them but we never see the mom getting targeted she is not in the scene with the house until dean and sam are there and then she's wallowing in the corner right yeah like she's like expecting pretty much her daughter to like emotionally take care Mm -hmm. of her yeah uh, speaking of cassie taking care of people something else that just really bugs me On top of, like, her not being able to express her emotions, she's, like, constantly grabbing people beverages, I noticed. It just drove me crazy. And I know it was just, like, a tiny thing, but I'm, like, still. Okay, your ex-girlfriend's dad was murdered, and you come to help her. You better be the one in the fucking kitchen making that tea for her. Yeah. She is not there to serve you. Like, this is... Ugh. Right. Well, especially, like, they, she's an investigative journalist. Yeah. Like, she is, uh, like, a powerful woman with a career. Oh, and, and their uh, implication was that she went to Ohio University, which is a really good school. Yes. Amazing for journalism. Yeah. And she, when they're so, researching, like... she's sitting in the background just, like, the accessory to him. Right, exactly. On her fucking computer. I know at her desk. Yeah, her I was just like, uh, was definitely a victim of the tell and not show uh-huh. thing that this show does tend to do. Like they tell us that she is these thing, this thing with all of these credentials, right? But then she's put into this passive role for yeah, and they put the white men from out of town into the driver's seat yeah. of <laughs> the conflict. And she's literally gaslit this whole mm-hmm. episode too, right? And like an investigative journalist is not going to put up with that shit. No, like it's. Right their whole job like the only time they let her be a little bit spicy was like literally when dean was like don't leave the house and she's like don't talk to me like that and he's like please yeah (laughs) but like what if she had been like that the whole episode you know yeah and it feels like because she's almost like that with is it the the guy in the bolo yeah 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 it was the mayor Yeah, yeah she's like well would you be taking this more seriously if it were white people but like that's not even that crazy that's just like a fucking question based on the situation and she didn't ask it in a rude way she just asked like point blank and it's something that needs to fucking be called out right 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 so it's like the idea that like her saying that makes her tough is just like ridiculous Mm -hmm. to me yeah i really in that exact scene, I really thought this episode was going to have big things to say. Yeah. But immediately he was like, how dare you? She didn't right. say anything. And then the next scene, he's a hero. Mm-hmm. It felt like, and I know this happens in society, how yeah. the black woman is, not physically, but she is definitely like muted by the men, white men who hold the power and suppress. Yeah. Um, but doesn't do it in a critical way. It's just like, oh, yep. Now, now's her time to be quiet. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just really sinks that in this episode, the episode, like, wanted to say something, and then it just didn't. I don't... I think what it wanted to say was predominantly white audience. Yes. It's okay. Yeah. We've moved on. Things aren't as racist anymore. Because you're not murdering people with your truck. Can I talk about Route 66 a little? All right, Allie. about Route 66. Yeah. (laughs) So I was looking up Route 66 stories. And there's the general thing I kind of got into of, like, um, it's transient nature and how we do know that people, not everyone who's been transient, but some people took care, like, took advantage of that system, like, would murder people in different areas because then the police departments didn't communicate. Um, So there's that idea. Also, it's new technology, like highways across America. This is like a a newfound thing. Unexplored back roads and the idea of the Wild West and what could be out there all come up in this. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, I think we've talked about in previous episodes how horror tends to reflect society. So a fear Mm -hmm. of, I mean, if you're driving on a highway, especially like at night, there is that feeling of isolation. Yes. So some kind of like horror centered around a highway does not surprise me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about, so I just think this goes really well with the story. I know it's not fully relevant, but like it just represents what Americans fuck up. <sighs> Larry Baggett. He is a man who lived in Missouri who said he was visited by a Cherokee Indian. This is a white man said he was visited by a Cherokee Indian who looked 150. This quote-unquote Cherokee Indian, that's what he said it was, I'm not saying to be clear, um, said his house was built on the Trail of Tears and it blocked the path that these ghost Native Americans were taking and that he had to build a staircase so they could get over it and then an arch that would be like protected and it was even called the Larry Baggett's Trail of Tear Memorials. So this was a memorial to the Trail of Tears which was just a white man built and he was like having a fever dream or something about what Native Americans needed and named it after himself. And it's still around. It's been renamed and it's called the Trail of Tears and Herbal Gardens. What? I just think it goes really well with this show in thinking about how we think of past atrocities in a way very convenient for us. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of those like churches that go on mission trips (gasps) to like Africa, but then they will do things that makes them feel better to do for these communities Mm -hmm. but it's not actually listened to the communities they're going to and so they sometimes will install things that actually end up hurting the community but they're like we did it we saved Mm -hmm. these people and then that is so the tone of the end of this episode (laughs) too they're like wow we solved racism Yeah, Take that's what that. this felt like. And to me, I'm like, okay, like, if we're honoring the Trail of Tears, we don't even have any sig- historical tie over what this man says. And then it's a way he represents it. And he profits off of it. Like, Literally, all this episode had to do, because they had built it up that they did not recognize mm-hmm. racism. Like, and that was this town's problem. All they had to do was have the town acknowledge racism tell cassie she's not crazy she's not been Mm -hmm. imagining these things and it would have been 10 times better can you imagine if she as a journalist was able to get both her mom and the mayor to open up about cyrus and then she wrote an article about it 
and like then they dealt with the ghost mm-hmm. yes. like wouldn't that have been way cooler i don't know yep because this episode sucks so much i also researched the number 666 for ah. some fun and lighthearted. Nice. Go into it. Um, so, in Textus Receptus in the New Testament, <laughs> 666 is associated with the man's number, and it's associated with the beast, who is specifically the water beast. He's from the sea. He's the second of six in that, like, Revelations. Mm-hmm. Um, he has seven heads, ten horns, leopard form, feet of a bear, and mouth of a lion. So this is where it comes from. Um, It's only later associated with Satan. So when do they start talking about this thing's big black truck? (laughs) In Exodus? No. (laughs) Um, And then, so, so the number 666 was 603 score and six in the Bible, and they don't know if it was like 616 or this. Um, There's a bit of debate, but they think it was a numerical code because if you take the Hebrew for this number and then use their numerical code, it is Neron Kaiser, which is Caesar Nero, because every Caesar was just the title. Um, So it was about Nero, and he was specifically horrible to Christians. Um, So 666 could all be a metaphor for Nero, which I find absolutely fascinating. Huh. Um, If you're in Rome, visit the Nero's Palace right behind the Colosseum. They have now are unearthing it and have a VR tour. Oh, that's very cool. So cool. Um, And then, so later on, it becomes Satan because of that biblical connection. And it's randomly the the sum of the roulette wheel. And it's the sum of a magic six by six, which is used by some practitioners. And Aleister Crowley, who's... He's that guy. He's that guy. Every, like, weird magic thing and sex cult thing connects to him in some capacity. Oh, yeah. Um, He decided to not go by his name for a while and just went by great beast 666 oh my god fucking edge lord (laughs) that was his aol name (laughs) so i love how literally everything connects to him and in china it's a good thing it's um it means everything goes well and they'll put 666 on light up signs in like shop windows Oh. I love that. So that's a little happy. Not everywhere is it such a negative, but I love it being about Nero. Very informative, Allie. Yeah, sorry it's a little random, but I'm like, we need something to get away from. Yeah, I mean, what the fuck are we going to talk about, Stephen King's Christine? Well, also, <laughs> this episode was called Route 666, and, like, the highway was, there was, like, nothing to do. Like, yeah. this was a very stagnant episode. They didn't yeah, go in that I many places. I think it was because the death of Cyrus took place mm-hmm. on that particular stretch of yes. road. So the road was, like, the centerpiece of the haunting. But then actually it wasn't. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It just could go anywhere. Right. It was super stupid. Briefly touched on Dean being really uncomfortable with emotional mm-hmm. vulnerability in this episode. But there were a couple things that I wanted to highlight. Some little things that or a little thing I noticed mm-hmm. that you could probably blink and miss it. So there's that scene where, of course, Cassie is giving them bevies because she's such a good hostess, even though she's grieving <sighs> her father. But anyway, 
And Dean puts down the cup because his hands are mm-hmm. shaking. Mm-hmm. Poor little dude. And then he snaps at her, which is not as nice. No. There was also when they were interviewing the workers mm-hmm. who were having lunch, he was like completely disheveled. Did you know he had like his his tie was only like half tied and it was like kind of loose and his collar was all unbuttoned and stuff. Yeah. And standing next to Sam, who was very like pristine mm-hmm. and tidy, it was just very like, oh, oh, honey. That's a good point. That's something yeah. I like when shows kind of do that when it's it's the minute details that really do it for mm-hmm. me in TV. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's the little things like that you have to um like like minor visual cues mm-hmm. like that are really important. Yeah, and I don't care if they're accidental. I'm like I really appreciate that this creates a bigger narrative. Because right. Because we see what happens to the narrative when they actually try. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I have one little thing that I noticed about Dean. Yeah. They really brush over the fact that he just accepted his own death in this when the car's coming at him and that sam didn't even think about the consequence of killing his brother right which feels like it should be a lot more weighty than that like two seconds of waiting to see if the car hits him right so okay so to be be fair just with that when dean accepted his death in the last episode sam wasn't there for that he was Mm. in the basement locked up no i mean when he accepts it in this episode yes but um, I think we were talking about the trauma related to that episode that Sam was kind of making him relive. Maybe I misread that situation. No, I think what Allie was just saying is that he's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to die because yeah. the truck is coming right for him. And Sam hasn't explained that he's on hallowed ground. Yes. Oh, and Sam specifically on the phone call after is like, oh, I didn't even think about yeah. the consequences of this so it really feels like he's so flippant with his brother's life which is strange yeah. after the previous episode mm-hmm. because he's so determined to save dean's life mm-hmm. yeah. but we do also see in that episode he's more than willing to sacrifice someone else's life so his mm-hmm. ideas about the worth of a human life <laughs> seem to kind of be in question i will say right now i do not hate sam i think sam is a really cool and interesting character and i'm only putting that out there specifically because <laughs> i know it sounds like i'm <laughs> like sam is horrible i'm not saying that i don't hate him either i just think it's interesting i never realized how dark they make his character yeah from the start i'm only of course in season one but i will say um the show at large has not put invested as much in sam Mm -hmm. as the show has invested in dean right thus far but Mm -hmm. i did think that that scene was kind of sociopathic yes yeah it was troubling yeah yeah, that's exactly what i wrote down i was like "Mm, what is sam thinking especially like he was just left, literally left Dean on the phone. It would have taken two <laughs> seconds for him to be like, okay, the truck's coming. It's yeah. gonna, it's reaching the hollowed ground. Yeah, he's, it's just so Yeah, funny. he could have been like, okay, I'm going to give you directions to the church. We're going to get mm-hmm. you to hollowed ground. And then when the ghost passes over it, it'll be destroyed. And it's only when Dean's like, oh, what was, like, how did you know that word work? And Sam's like, oh, I didn't. Oh, good point. <laughs> you know what, how, what kind of the vibe that I got? Hmm. So... I feel like Sam was kind of taking the moment to be a little bit of a know-it-all. 
but it like kind of read as sociopathic. Right. I hope that's it because otherwise, like, oh fuck. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing about all of that shit too, with that whole like car chase action sequence mm-hmm. thing, is that you know a burning cleanse is a mostly symbolic thing. Mm-hmm. I'll remind us all that when you cremate a body, the bones are left behind. The flame does not entirely catch a body. So what they're doing is a symbolic purification when they burn a body. And the same logic applies to items and artifacts Mm -hmm. and whatever um, that they're needing to cleanse. So it doesn't matter if the whole truck doesn't fucking catch on fire. Cover that shit in gasoline and just light it. You could even put gasoline in the gas tank and throw a match in it. Yeah, exactly. Blow that motherfucker up. Yeah. Also, they've been really consistent about, like, the the symbolicness of burning an artifact or a body. Do they ever, if you don't mind me asking, bring things to a hollowed ground, like, in this series? I can't recall, but that doesn't mean that they don't do it. To me, I considered it the same as the first episode, where, like, returning to the scene of the crime, returning to this atrocity you have to face. But they didn't even, like specify no they don't that this was like the scene of the crime they very much were just like oh it's because this was a church oh yeah that church where all these children happen to be murdered right oh my god um something else about coming up to that action sequence so they dredge the swamp Mm -hmm. why did it take them so little time to find the truck yeah it's been submerged for 40 years apparently but then also, where did they get that construction equipment to do it? I just have so many questions. Plus, like, the bottom of swamps are, like, mossy mm-hmm. mud. Yeah. That thing's oh, probably gonna be almost gone by this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I write away the equipment thing because I don't know why, but my hometown was a little bit, like, backwards. At least vibe-wise. Sure. And we all knew someone who owned a bobcat just for kicks. So I feel like that that's part's reasonable, but yeah, the swamp part. Well, maybe if they had talked to Cassie about it, she was like, oh, borrow our bobcat or whatever. I assume there was like a scene in between there. It's still, I still was fair. I don't Mm. even think they needed that scene because it didn't have anything to do with the resolution of the episode. I think the reason they didn't show them struggling to get it out was... We actually paused that episode right before that mm-hmm. happened. And there was like literally seven minutes left at yeah. that point. So I think sure. the show just had to edit it out or didn't have the time. To I don't think it. they did more. I think that was probably the mm-hmm. sum of everything they did with regard oh, to dredging the swamp. I did realize something, though. I forgot sure. there's a like two second clip at the start of that scene where you see that that it, they're rebuilding and it's like under heavy demolition, that area. So that might be why. Gotcha. They had to spend the whole episode instead addressing how we ignore racism by ignoring racism. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) More important. (laughs) One last thing to mention about kind of Dean's character development in this episode. Again, we've kind of gotten that John is right, which I hate. Yes. Because it's like, he got burned by sharing his life. He went against his own role because Sam was like, this is your role. You can't go against that. He did. He got burned. He lost the girl. Yeah. And then he came back and he repeated that. So he didn't follow John's rule and he got burned by not following John's rule. But it sucks because John's an asshole. So. Yeah. But he's also wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. yeah. So then, so we want to talk about them breaking up again. Cassie dumping him again. Again. <laughs> okay. 
I love that this episode said Cassie has rights. Dean yes. does not. Yes. <laughs> yes. And at the very end, finally. Because, like, I just wanted her to have a win. Yes. Like, everything is so shit for her in this episode. And then she's just like, you know what? There's no way this is going to work. There's just no way. Like, I can't be waiting around to see if you're going to come back or anything. Good for her. Yeah, that it, it props to her. I do cringe so fucking hard. I was cackling because they have this final kiss and the light's hitting them softly from behind. Just like it did Dean's nipple earlier in the episode. <laughs> and they pull apart and there is a string of spit. Yes. From lip to Ooh, lip. Oh, I didn't and notice. It is so disgusting. It was ushy gushy. It was ushy gushy. I am reminded of in the Phantom of the Opera at the end. The the <gasps> one um with shit, what's his name? Uh, Gerard Butler. And There's like uh, a really big spit. Emma Rossum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. But yeah, no, I I didn't notice that at all. But then again, I was looking down taking notes mm-hmm. at the time. It was so. It, Ugh. All of these I think I so far have been so nasty. Yeah. yeah. Someone needs a wet vac for his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> He's always got to hit him with the slurping girl. <laughs> Ooh, different than what I expected that to mean. <laughs> Jasper's face. <laughs> Some people have a wop. Dean has a wham. A wet ass mouth. mouth. <laughs> Jensen, get your salivary glands under control. <laughs> I bet he drools in his sleep. Maybe. Most people do. <gasps> <laughs> no! Um, anyway, I do feel really bad for him at the end of this mm-hmm. episode. I feel like they try and pass it off as kind of lighthearted mm-hmm. in the final scene, but it's really kind of ouchy. Yes. Because, yeah. like, yeah. he's trying so hard to be like, but I'll come back. So and this- she's like, No. No. <laughs> So here's, like, the thing that I had to think about in the end of the episode. We always get kind of two storylines going on in these episodes in the first season. We have the main storyline, and then we have the development of Dean and Sam. And in this, I was like, the story didn't know where it was going with the main story. And that's happened in previous episodes, but then the development of Dean and Sam still, like, you get something out of the episode. Mm -hmm. What were we supposed to learn from Dean's relationship with Cassie in this episode? Like, I just kind of feel like it failed on that level, too. Like, I don't feel like the episode as a whole was worth Dean's growth. I think more than showing him growing, it's explaining his behavior. Yes. Yeah. So, at the end, he clearly, when Sam asks him if, you know, he ever thinks he's, like, missing out on, like, a real life, clearly the answer Mm -hmm. is yes, because he doesn't respond. But on top of that, the thing with the sunglasses fucking crushes me. Because it's like, I mean, I know it looks so stupid, and he makes that dumb face, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, eyes are like the window into Mm -hmm. the soul. And he's just completely like, nope, I'm Mm -hmm. shutting down. Plus, like, not doing it. Like, nighttime, too, when they drove off. No, it wasn't. It was, it was daytime. It was grayscale. It was so hard to tell. Yeah, it just the gray, once again, being defeated by the the gray, our brains. It was sunglasses that you couldn't see anything, like even from the side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it felt very much specifically ones that blocked him out from others. Yeah. So, you know, yes, there's the practical thing of like, Mm -hmm. I'm putting on sunglasses so I can sleep. 
but he's like escaping yeah. emotionally as well. This is sad boy Dean. Yeah. He's so soft and sad. So soft. I just want to see big buff men cry. When am I going to get it? I've only had like one really cryy episode. Don't worry. There will yeah. be so many tears. Okay. Don't worry. Mainly Jasper's. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, he just gets so sad. Like, I don't know. I had interesting circumstances in, mm-hmm. you know, my formative years that made connecting with people kind mm-hmm. of hard. So I get it. It sucks. Yeah, it's a big gay show that hurts my heart. Yeah. Yeah. What do we make of the fact that um, it's Dean, in fact, who is the one more willing to break John's rule about being honest about their life in order to connect with people emotionally? And that Sam is the one who is deceptive. To me, it meant how much this meant to him and how this really was a chance mm-hmm. and how he was kind of burned by it and then resorted to. It's kind of like when you reach out for help in an abusive situation and you don't get that help, um, then it can like drive you further closer to yeah. your abuser because what other options are there? So I think on a like more surface level too, just to the characterization of the characters that I've seen, Dean tends to try and make more meaningful connections, where mm. Sam tended to more just surround himself with people. Like, it seemed like Sam, we've seen how, like, him have many friends, like, from college. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's even been some, like, it's shown, like, his picture with some of his friends next to Marilyn Monroe for some reason. <laughs> but, like... Ah, uh, yes, the famous Marilyn Magnet. It seems like Sam tends to do what he thinks he should be doing by, like, kind of accumulating people, but he, like is fine with people being at arm's length but i think dean like kind of wants to have that deeper connection and we see that i think with his relationship with sam in the first episode especially that's true i think we kind of see that a little bit in this episode too i completely agree and i had never thought about that about the difference in the relationships they build and what's expected of them and i think that's why dean's been hurt so bad and well even like with their dad yeah 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 Yeah, I always think about it like Sam is trying very hard to escape Mm -hmm. and Jess was part of that escape Mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, he he skirted Mm -hmm. a more genuine connection, whereas Dean is unwilling to connect with people if he cannot connect with them Mm -hmm. genuinely. Let's move on to the fan fiction. That was all I had. Please say you don't have a sad boy, Dean, one. I honestly... I don't remember. (laughs) Much like last time, I just don't remember. So we're going to be surprised. Here we go. I'm clicking the link. What's it going to be? Okay. I'm surprised. (laughs) Once again. (laughs) In keeping with the theme of this episode, it appears I tried to find a fic that was related to racism or... uh, Black Lives. I haven't read this. As usual, I didn't screen it or anything. I was just like, do people like this? They seem to. Okay. (laughs) Um, This is called Planting Seeds. It's by Mandala Rose. We actually follow Mandala Rose on our podcast Twitter. No way. That's awesome. I can't remember if they follow me back. So, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, um, yeah, they're a pretty popular writer. Mm -hmm. The summary is protests rock the country and black voices rise up to demand justice centuries denied in the days following the murder of george floyd by four minneapolis police officers 
uh, Cass and Dean struggle to confront their own privilege and participation in systemic racism as they seek to find their places in a revolution. So I thought it was pretty cool that someone thought to incorporate our contemporary social issues into mm-hmm. a fic because like I think the show does entrench itself in like contemporary culture mm-hmm. throughout I mean not as much in season one mm-hmm. although sometimes like there was in the Bloody Mary's Mary episode they referenced um Paris Hilton's yes. sex tape yeah but yeah like political things don't come up as much and probably for the best knowing the track record of season <laughs> one thus far right I'm not totally sure I want to hear about what a bunch of old white straight dudes think about the Black Lives Matter movement. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, this is such a good thing. I wish they'd write it. But then I'm like, wait, I wish there was a different writer's room who would then tackle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish Mandala Rose was just in this writer room. Yeah, there we go. Get you in the writer's room, Mandala Rose. Yeah, and I love using your medium, like, fan fiction writing Mm -hmm. to try and, like, reach a new audience and educate them. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Here, I'll read some of the tags here. It is an AU, modern setting, where they're both human. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an established relationship casting which is nice because then they don't they don't need to focus on that element mm-hmm. of it more just like what's going on in the story. Teacher Castiel, firefighter Dean, therapist Missouri Mosley, heavy angst, angst relating relating to real world events, quarantine, COVID-19, mm. pandemic, murder, protests, police brutality, graphic depictions of real world violence, mm-hmm. racism, depression, grief, no fluff. Our boys come to some very difficult and uncomfortable realizations about themselves and their privilege. And then uh, Black Lives Matter is the last one. Yeah. Again, I haven't read this, so I don't know how graphic or upsetting it is. It is only rated teen. Mm. So I can't imagine it's horrible, but there's potential for it to be triggering. Interesting. I've never come across someone using a fan fiction to tell like a kind of like an activist sort of angle. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I like because I've heard of it in a negative way when people throw in there just for like drama. But I think that sounds like it's a lot more productive and about realizing their existence in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if um, anyone's read this, mm-hmm. I might go back and read it later, but please uh, comment on our website at supernatural.com and tell us what you think, or at OTR Twitter, always feel free to send us like fan fictions related to about what we mm-hmm. talk about. We yeah, I'm uh, I'm extremely online, yeah. so like literally I, I have trouble sleeping, so I'm online like almost 24-7. DM me about fan fiction please also jordan i love that you think our website is at supernatural.com no on the road at supernatural i thought you said at supernatural you did say at supernatural (laughs) oh sorry i meant to say at otr supernatural for that's also on the road no no at at on at otr supernatural is our twitter yes no so when you were talking about our website you said at supernatural.com oh my goodness our website is on the road with supernatural yeah we've actually bought the rights to just the supernatural website I know. I was like, you think we're really We bougie. control Supernatural now, and there's going to be some big changes. 
love that. But actually, the website is on the road with supernatural.com. And that's the same as our Gmail as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please talk to us mm-hmm. online. I would love to talk to other human beings. Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram. And if you want to mm-hmm. ask Go for any it. of us anything personally, too, we also have um, what social media we mm-hmm. control on our website and the About Us mm-hmm. page as well. Yeah. Well, and we always screenshot and send to each other. Yeah. Leave us, like, reviews. Tell yeah. tell us what you think. There was someone. Who was it? I screenshotted. They recently. quoted me on Twitter, and I have never been so impressed. You mean on Tumblr? No, on Twitter. The one you sent me. Oh, 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 Where they oh. put a quote that I had said, and it was like, yes, bestie. I almost cried. Yeah. It was who amazing. Was it? it was at Shardmines said listening to at OTR Supernatural is just me saying so true bestie for an hour <laughs> reply I want Dean in that jacket with a fishnet shirt underneath and his nipples pierced so true bestie <laughs> quote from Allie in episode like two yeah. I think yeah highlight of my life thank you yeah love to have nice feedback yes so. <laughs> well do we want to rate yeah let's read the episode what do we think just because I liked Cassie and the actress that portrayed her, I'm going to give this so beautiful one out of five white gilts. <laughs> I give it one out of five big trucks for the literal same reason. Cassie, you get that one. You would get a five, but the shitty episode gets the zero part of it. Yeah, I'm going to give uh, this episode one out of five shaky coffee cups <laughs> for Cassie being really great um, and deserving better and standing up for herself at the end and dumping that motherfucker a second yes. time. Yes. <laughs> um, and also for soft boy Dean. Mm-hmm. Poor baby. Poor baby. Jordan, what, what do you think you... will happen next? What Ooh, next? I forgot about this segment. Um. <laughs> It's been a minute. Okay, so we've now explored um, the spirits of trucks. Maybe next we'll get like, what else can we get the spirit of? Maybe animal spirits, like, um, or like cartoons. Maybe we're going to like the spirit of the Tasmanian devil (laughs) or Elmer Fudd. (laughs) This wabbit scene. <laughs> I just feel like now we I'm can. Yelling. At first, I was so sad. I was like, "We're only getting ghosts," but now we've expanded into inanimate objects. Now I'm just like, "There's so many possibilities for different types of ghosts now." Yeah. Like, what about like? Does anyone remember the movie The Brave Little Toaster? That, yes. but all ghosts. Oh my god, I love that. The Brave Little Ghoster. <laughs> the Brave Little Ghoster. <laughs> no, that's me on dating apps. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh my word okay but i'm gonna actually say a werewolf i want my werewolf i want a werewolf thanks for tuning in to on the road with supernatural our theme music was composed by anthony ployhar and special thanks to sophia london for our logo if you're having fun hit us up on tumblr instagram or twitter at otr supernatural or contact us by email at on the road with supernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback That's all for today. See you next time in Saginaw, Michigan. Bye. Bye. Bye.